1: Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD, if you want to follow me on Twitter. And this is the show where we normally would talk about yesterday's slate a bit. Then we talk about today's slate a bit. But of course, as, as, as usual, uh, talking about today's slate means nothing because you, you can't trust coaches. You can't trust injury reports. It doesn't matter what we say at 11 o'clock in the morning because. No matter, I, I, you could think, you could think it can't be possible anything could happen. Everything looks pretty straightforward. And then 6.30 comes around and you just throw everything out the window. So that's why we talk primarily about strategy on this show. I answer your questions in the YouTube chat. I see you guys there. Yaz's Army, Max Coach, Daniel Hutchings, Cards Fan, DJ Cicero, Alan Alexander, Brandon Simpson, Jupocalypse. You guys know what to do now. I got the apple juice. Keeping it cold, hit that thumbs up button, hit the thumbs up, the thummy thumbs, give me the thummy thumbs. We got the Eli producing. Give me give him the clappy claps if you if you want for producing the show. But it, it's Mondays. And as always, with Mondays, here with James McCool. Mondays with McCool. James McCool, the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. You can pick up at theory of and uh and james uh you just completely forgot daylight savings time just screw it right right you you you, you were you are almost an hour late you would have shown up when the show was over if it and you're you're out in colorado so like are are like some states like they somewhat do daylight savings time or like like it so it, it was
2: yesterday how did it screw you up on monday so here's the thing man um yeah. Not only did we have daylight savings time yesterday, right? But at the same time, we have uh, 26 inches of snow outside. So we got hit with a massive snowstorm and I had daylight savings time. So that means that I didn't do anything yesterday. I lost the entire day. I played video games, watched movies all day. Did not leave the house once. And doing that, like messing with my regular schedule, because we'll usually go and do something through, through the day. Uh, we didn't do anything yesterday. We just watched movies and ate dinner and went to sleep. So uh, I was just... Time I just, was just a flat circle it. to you. There was no... Time didn't exist. It didn't. No. I mean, I mean, I I just didn't do... I took care of my regular responsibilities. I did my projections. I projected Kevin Porter for 45 fantasy points, and then I went to sleep. So that was my entire day yesterday. Uh, and then I woke up, and there's still... It's, It was still snowing a little bit when I woke up. It's done snowing now. But we're supposed to get more snow tomorrow. So yesterday didn't matter to me at all. And uh, therefore, Daylight Savings Time actually started today because yesterday didn't exist. So that's why it screwed me up. And I I almost missed the show.
1: Right. And Kevin Porter didn't score that many points only because the Rockets got blown out yesterday. Right. Otherwise, he would have. Right. That dude's good. He's good. Well, no, he's good in the context that the Rockets are horrible.
2: I don't know it. I think it's a pretty good point. Like they they let, yeah, but him they're
1: because uh, Wall's either
2: Wall sitting or a Depot sitting. Eric no, Gordon's I, I out. I get that. I get that. Like from a DFS point, yes, it matters that Wall is out and that like all these guys are out. But like from an actual skill standpoint, I think he's actually like a pretty good point guard. I and I, I, I do. I don't even watch the games. I don't know. Well, I I can look at like what he does and like his permanent stuff. Oh, like, oh stats, okay. And like I can look at that and be like, yeah, that that looks like somebody who's a pretty good point guard.
1: Um, I, would, I, uh, I don't know,
2: Yes, maybe he's the worst at defense, and like maybe he hasn't made a jump shot since Nam. I don't know, but like his stats say that he looks like a pretty good point guard. That
1: right, well, how about Saturansky yesterday did well? Or Ed, no, no, Anthony Edwards apparently. See, if I you look Sator at his stat line, you go. Know Anthony Edwards is gonna be a good player then everyone tells me he's horrible
2: Anthony Edwards I I don't know man Anthony Edwards looks like he's okay all I know know is that you roster him either
1: either he puts up 45 fantasy points or shoots two for 17
2: right but he's a rookie
1: he's a rookie oh so that's the excuse now I don't care if he's a rookie if he's on my DFS lineups. I don't care he has to perform for me
2: well then don't roster rookies I don't know what to tell
1: you well if he's underpriced how do I not that i i can't argue with. That. Right, i mean they're just you're forced to. Especially right. on FanDuel, right? Well, no, uh, actually Draft true. FanDuel had him more expensive than on DraftKings yesterday. DraftKings said for Kevin Porter Jr., it's like, "Okay, let's I know he's put up 40 plus fantasy points, but let's bump him up to like 5,000."
2: 5k. Yeah, right, there okay. you go. That'll stop people, right? <laughs> <laughs> so silly, dude. Like and usually you're right. It, it usually is FanDuel that like goes about their business and says, "Oh, well, Kevin Porter just put up 68 fancy points, seven games in a row. Let's price him down a hundred dollars to $200 below the minimum price. Like, what are you doing? Well, look but at Fandle acting. today. Look at Fandle today with Karis Levert.
1: It's so bad, dude. Like, oh, he played 27 minutes last game. So let's just pump him up to like 4,100.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. It's so silly. I, it's, I, I don't understand. Like, I know that the DraftKings algorithm is heavily based on ownership. Um, and like past performance, like you can look at the DraftKings algorithm and especially during football season, you can tell kind of like what their algorithm takes into account. They, they take into account performance they take into account ownership the week before when they take into account if they're starting or not with FanDuel's algorithm. Like you look at it and you're like, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I have no idea how they're pricing these players.
1: Right. Well, also DraftKings tends to react to news quicker yeah. like we had that that uh the after the slate right after the all-star break where we knew Simmons and Embiid were going to be out mm-hmm. and DraftKings said okay Howard's 5,300 and Milton's 5k or so like they priced up Toby Harris it's gonna be 8,100 and then FanDuel just said we're just gonna pretend like it never happened yeah like just we're just uh who cares we're just gonna price we're gonna price Embiid and everyone the way normally to but the prepared. problem comes in the James the problem comes in a lot of times That we see with the Raptors, like we've seen recently, like Siakam's out, Van Vliet's out, and Ananobi's out. That while now players that are priced down that are getting more minutes and more usage, like the efficiency, the whole team, the team sucks. So it's like we rush to roster like the Rockets last night. Like we go, okay, I'm going to play all the Depot and FanDuel, maybe not on DraftKings. You play, uh, you play Porter, you, you, you maybe Patton or something like that. And, and then, right. And then, then they, then they get blown out. yeah. Like Toronto, you did, we did this like a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, that Lowry Powell, uh, the Bain, you know, Bane's only played 12 minutes. Cause like they, the, the, the Hornets like hit like 15, three pointers in one quarter 16, or something. 16. 16. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we've talked about in the past about like predicting blowouts, but do you, do you believe that in these situations where, you know, the star the, the actual talented players from a team are out and we're just going to go, Oh, we're going to give all the usage to all the guys that are on the court. Should, should we be at least from like a meeting perspective, kind of bumping down people's minutes as like the spread gets higher and higher or to uh, to counteract the, or to lower the efficiency to some extent. Because I know, like, I mean, because what ends up happening, we see I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm just saying that look at yesterday with the Rockets. And it's like, well, do you expect that team to win? I mean, no, the team sucks. So it's like, yes, you're right. All these guys are out. Oladipo should have tons of usage. But I mean, if they're only, if they're going to lose like eight minutes of their last rotation or something,
2: like, are, are they really priced down anymore? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I I think that um, you don't mess with their medians because that you still expect them to have a median outcome of X if they play the full game. Like you, you still expect Kevin Gordon. Yeah, but it, to shouldn't be
1: the median outcome actually be on that distribution curve? Should you uh, account more for like? I it, it's weird to say. Like you don't want to predict blowouts, but don't you have to account for the low? It, we're, you're already accounting for lower offensive efficiency because they're 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 crappier players, right? Yeah. But overall, the compounding offensive inefficiency turns into a 25 point lead for the other team, and then the the guys that like like, like someone like uh, like uh, uh, KJ Martin, right? Yeah. Like he ends up getting more minutes because he's going to play in the blowout. So like if you're projecting him let's say you're projecting him for 20 and porter for 36 maybe the median should be 34 and 22 because it, it it's more likely to turn into a situation where the starters don't see full minutes i mean it i this is to me this is a slippery slope doing stuff like this it absolutely is but yeah. i mean we see extreme cases i'm not talking about the cases where everyone's healthy and you just like a team's on 11 point favorite and it's like, okay, just, it's the bucks versus the, the, whoever Mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, I can't play because of the blowout to to me that that's a different story. The rock, when the Rockets are against the jazz, they're they're 18 and a half under point underdogs. And like they're, they're essentially playing a G league roster to start against the the best record in the NBA or for the jazz. Like how do you, it's, would it be, would it be viable to kind of look and go, okay, if they were to play a whole game, here are the minutes, but if they weren't going to play a whole game, this is how the minutes would work out.
2: And then it's kind of like go in the middle of that. Well, so what I do, like I said, I want to touch the median because I like, I, I think that the median is still the same. Like when you look at what a player's middle outcome should be when you're projecting, what I do is I widen that distribution curve. I make it so that like with players like Lowry or with Powell specifically, I'm not talking about like the Kenyon Martins. I'm not talking about like Karens Davis or, or somebody like that. I'm not talking about these cheap guys that are filling in for the starters. Like those guys are volatile as is. But like with somebody like Kyle Lowry, you do expect him to have more usage. Uh, yesterday, I, I boosted him like 7% or something like that for his usage because there, there's no OG, there's no Siakam, there's no Van Vliet. So you expect his usage to be higher, and you expect that efficiency to be less. But what if what if that efficiency actually does end up being a game where he is able to carry? We saw it with um, Shai Gilgeous Alexander as well, where like OKC okay, has had guys missing this for weeks, um, and his usage goes up, and like he has now the opportunity and the usage to put up 40 real life points and put up 12 assists, whatever. So I think what it does is it doesn't mess with the median. But instead of a bell curve where it is like relatively skinny, it's now much wider where that distribution can be that their deviations are going to be much wider along from the median because you can expect for sure if they get blown out, then yeah, their their standard deviation lower, it's going to be farther back because they're going to play less minutes. They're going to have less efficiency, blah, blah, blah. But if they have the right efficiency and that usage is higher, or if they have more efficiency, if they're just like super hot in the field, like. Norman Powell, like what, a week and a half ago or something like that shoots 13 for 16 or something like that and just goes nuclear with all the extra added added usage. And he had just a good efficiency night, so he was able to carry them. Um, That means that his deviation from the median farther forward is going to be better. It's going to be longer. So for me, I just think that it widens that distribution. It doesn't mess much with median, and, and I don't like touching medians. Maybe I'll drop them one or two minutes, maybe. If it's like a situation like with the Rockets against the Jazz, yeah, I'd maybe one, two minutes. But I think what I would rather do is just mess with their distributions a little bit, increase their deviations from mean, increase their rim, their variation for their minutes, and just let it go that way. And then you can make some more informed decisions on the upside and the downside of a player. And you can say, yeah, the, the Jazz are in the situation where they should blow out the Rockets. You know, Depot, he might not get his fourth quarter, um, Kevin Porter Jr. might not get his fourth quarter, but Kenyon Martin is probably still going to get it. So what what if they do end up keeping up with the Jets? Like we saw OKC beat Memphis with with like literally a G League team. Uh, so like situations like that, there was a lot of upside in taking those guys. It was a two-game slate, but if that would have been on the main slate, I, I think that that's a similar situation to what we had with Rockets where – if you would have taken down their medians, then you're not rostering Poku at like 3,200 and he puts up 39 fantasy points, something like that. So I much prefer to mess with the deviations and, and widen that distribution curve rather than messing with medians.
1: Right. But so effectively, like if you, but the, the problem comes in there is that you're still using, if you're using an optimizer or something, like the median is going to look the same, even though the the floor, the floor and the ceiling are the things that are going to be changed. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, that because like here at, at, at Rotogund, we have a smash percentage. So essentially what that would do, if you increase the standard deviation of the players on the team is that you're setting different, you, you may have a, they're actually may the media may be the same, but the smash percentage may go down. Mm-hmm. Like, because like, if you're like, for instance, in the guys that require the max minutes, so if we're talking about on, on the Raptors. Like, like someone like uh, like Chris Boucher, some, like that may play in garbage time or, uh, or Terrence Davis, those types. Like, I don't, oh, they just have upside. But like, if you're projecting Lowry for like 37 minutes, like there's really no case that he's going to play 40, right? So he's already like his median at 37 minutes is like, well, that he is a great median, but his, his his upside is going to be much lower in the case where you increase his standard deviation, right? Because like minutes, what he would just have to be more efficient, right? He's l- less likely to get more minutes because That's- I mean, if he gets more minutes, it's because you know they're just forcing him to play forty minutes or something. So, taking how would that reflect like? if you're going to change that distribution curve, so instead of it being narrow to flatter, like obviously the smash percentage is going to be on a lower point. Mm-hmm. Like that, the, the five, if you, if you go five X plus 10, let's say Lowry is 8,000 and you, and you, your arbitrary baseline for smashing is five X plus 10. So that would be 50 points. Yeah. Right. 8,000, 8, eight times five is 40 plus 10 is 50. So that, Finding that 50 on that distribution curve when it's like narrow like this gets you X percentage of the time. So maybe maybe it ends up being 26% of the time. Yeah. But if you increase the standard de- deviation, the smash percentage may end up being 18% of the time mm-hmm. only because it's taken into account all the times that, you know, it's much because to me, it's not like you're widening. It's not an equal amount of widening. I think it's, you're bunching like, I mean, obviously we're talking, it's easy to talk in normal distributions because it's, it's, it's going to be equidistant, but none of these, no, no player has a normal distribution. We do it out of ease of mathematics, not because it actually exists. No player has a normal distribution, but they don't have any, I mean, every player has a different distribution and it may be like, like wobbly and maybe a little up over here or down like that. But for a guy like Lowry in that type of situation, it's that the you're, you're essentially smoothing out the distribution on the on the low side, but still kind of capping it to the upside. So like like but still from a, from an equidistant perspective, like the amount of outcomes that are in the high end still ex- are, are half the outcomes, while the ones in the low end side are still half the outcomes. It's just that the low side has has 17s and 21s and stuff like that in it while the high end doesn't have 98s in it it just has a lot more 60s 65s 62s like it doesn't it doesn't get out to 70 while on the low end you may see some 15s so that's essentially so it's not technically an even normal distribution it's that like you're just kind of like extending the low end so the lower is kind of like more of a more of a like a not a hockey curve but i don't know i don't know what i don't you're the math person i don't know what 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 these curves are called because they don't have names.
2: so here's here's, we're talking about have no names no no but what what you're going to look like is instead of it being like a regular bell curve say this is this is the low end this is the high end right like instead of it looking like a regular bell curve what's going to happen is you're going to shorten this a little bit and you're going to raise this a little bit right so there are more outcomes here where there are lower and then like there's still, there's still a lot of upside here, but you're going to hit a wall eventually because there can only be so much efficiency. Um, and if, you know, if you look at this, I, I think that, and we talk about in the theory DFS, your intuitive model, where right now we're talking about an analytical model. We're talking about like me on the back end with my code and and my sheets and everything like that. But if you look at it for, through an intuitive model, then that's what you are thinking about of like, okay, well, it's highly unlikely that he's going to get more minutes. It is more likely that he gets less minutes than he gets more minutes, right? So, But but if he gets max minutes, he's great. I mean, he could put put up a
1: smash type of score.
2: But in the situation where you are looking at it through an intuitive model, I think that you can take those things into account a little bit better and say to yourself, and this is something that I think people can do, even though it's kind of silly, talk out loud to yourself about what you think Lowry can actually do in that situation. Like, yeah, he can play 37 minutes and he can shoot like 10 for 13 from the field and he can have 12 assists if like Norman Powell also shot the lights out, right? There's that side of things. And then there's the other side of things where the Toronto Raptors get blown out. He plays 28 minutes and he, he doesn't get the assists because the rest of the team sucked. Maybe he still shot well. Maybe his efficiency was still well from shooting, but like he didn't get the assists. He didn't get the minutes, So that efficiency boost doesn't even matter. So there's kind of two ways to look at it. I I think analytically, it is very hard to approach a situation like that, especially for somebody like me who does not like to take into account a massive spread because I think that it's just bad practice for GPPs um, when when I'm building out my projection models. But when you are looking at it outside of that, like yesterday when I was talking to subs, I I almost said that Chris Boucher was somebody who you should start your lineups with. I, I ended up saying Kevin Porter, Thomas Sadoransky and John Collins. And I almost said Chris Boucher because he projected great. I mean, I had him project for almost 41 fantasy points, but I didn't because in my head, I know that he's, he's got very, very volatile minutes and rotation, even when there have been times when he should just be the guy like starting and everything like Aaron Baines is out. Pascal Siakam is out and they still found a way not to start him. So like, they still found a way to
1: play Henry Ellenson for crying out. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So like situations like that, even though he projects very well, I know what the tail end outcomes are for Boucher. I know that he has a lot of upside. If he plays full minutes, I also know that he can play 18 minutes for no conceivable reason because nurse just doesn't want to play him that day. So having the understanding and like the context and, and the intuition to know that Chris Boucher yesterday was probably a guy for Toronto and Kyle Lowry for that matter. And Norman Powell, like Norman Powell gets there entirely off shots. Norman Powell can have a bad night. He did last night or two nights ago. So knowing those kinds of things um, I, I think that's important. And that comes with a lot of practice. Uh, I And it's really hard for me to just like answer a question of like, Oh, well, why didn't you play Chris Boucher yesterday? It's like, cause I just know that he's super volatile and he was going to be like 50% owned. And I I'd rather have other value plays that I think make more sense. So I think that that's kind of a hard part to get past and something that you just have to learn as you make mistakes along the way.
1: Well, it just comes down to seeing, it comes down to the concept that two, two players could have the same exact median projection, the same exact mean projection and be completely have completely different standard deviations. And like, they're not, they're not the same. Their outcomes are not going to be the same. You could see, you could see two guys with a 40%, a 40 point median projection. And one, one guy is more likely to put up 32, 36, 42, 44. And then the guy, the second guy with the 40 point median projection could easily put up eight, 16, 12, 64 or 60. I mean, take a look at some, like I, I, I view like PJ Washington as someone like that, mm-hmm. like PJ Washington's like 6,000 or 5,500. Sometimes, sometimes he gets lower than that and you're like, Oh, he's a great value. And he, he plays like 29 minutes and gets 12 fantasy points. And you're like, how did that happen? And then sometimes he plays, he still only plays like 30 minutes and he has 62 fantasy points. Thirty-four points, twelve rebounds, three assists, four blocks, and you're like, uh, "It." Those are the types of players I think. I think average DFS players. You you would hear say, "Uh, you know, you you know the player is volatile." When you hear an average DFS player say, "Uh, he's a guy I never get right." Yeah, absolutely. right. Like, because yeah. to me that that's that's the that's like the layman's terminology of. Like, the guy, like, if I roster him, he sucks. And then if I don't roster him, he, he puts up a flame emoji. Like, you don't hear, I never get him right out of, like, guys that are stable, right? You you, you really don't, you don't, I, I never get Russell Westbrook right. Like, you don't hear that. I never get Damian Lillard right. It's like, Luka, I never get him right. It's like, the, yeah, they do have duds, but you don't, you don't typically don't see, you, you, you see the type of thing where it's like, Devin Booker, like I never get him right. Zach Levine, I never get, like those are the types of guys where they could go new, nu- they could put up 70. And then there are some games where they they shoot two for 10 and don't do anything else. And you go, how does this guy only have 18 points, right? So like, if you're thinking in your head of, of players that you never get right, those are the more volatile ones. And truthfully, for GPP, you should be playing them when it comes to volatility, the high standard deviation players. I mean, if you just went by a general rule, very general, not slate dependent or anything like this. Obviously, the slate matters. Is that if a player has a high standard deviation, is a volatile, and they're going to be owned heavily, fade them. And if they're going to be low owned, play them. Like those that I mean, it's very similar. I did uh, cheese. Dave Potts has the Robbie Ray rule for, uh, for MLB, right? I don't know. I don't know. It may, I don't know if it'll exist this season, but to, he's a type of pitcher in MLB that fits that bill. I'd never get him right. Like Robbie Ray could go seven innings, 14 strikeouts on, and, on one hit, or he could walk eight guys in the second inning and give up like nine runs just as easily. Like the outcomes are almost equal, equal on both sides. And then, you know, I never get him right. But he's the type of guy, when I see Robbie Ray at 7,800, I go, he's going to be 34% owned. It's like, I'm stacking against him, right? And when he's going to be like 8% owned because of the context of the slate, it's like, I'm going to play a lot of them. And hopefully you're right on that day. But I think that's 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 a better way of putting it, of like when when the players' minutes... And the team's efficiency is going to be more volatile on that day, be more inclined to go away from the the inverse of whatever the ownership is.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that I've gotten burned for a lot in NFL uh, specifically, because when you have a player like Will Fuller, right, or a player like uh, who's another burner, um, like Tyreek Hill or something like that. Well, not Tyree Kill last year, Tyree Kill two years ago, where you have these guys who are super boomer busts. Like they pretty much have been guys that are going to have either 200 yards and two touchdowns on four catches. Deshaun Jackson is another one where they're, they're just burners. And when they end up being in a good spot, people will just flock to them. And they'll, they'll end up 25, 30% on GPPs. It's like, I don't want exposure to that guy in in gpps that high of ownership because when they fail they end up with like a catch for 26 yards and that's it so they're either going to have 200 yards and two touchdowns or a catch in 26 yards uh and like a fumble or something like that and and you don't want exposure to that guy like you would rather pass the field and be different in that instance and then eat chalk elsewhere it's the same thing with uh with somebody like like levine is a pretty good example um he he is somebody or no, I actually, I like Norman Powell a little bit better on this one. Norman Powell gets there all almost entirely on points. Like Norman Powell does not do things that are not score points. All he does is shoot. He's a good shooter and, and he's had plenty of 30 point games in the last month, but all he does is shoot. So if he's going to be really, really popular, and I think that he is appropriately priced, right? Like we're not talking when he's like 5k and everybody is out and he's the only person taking shots. Like he, you just take him because he's going to project 38 fantasy points. But if he's like 7K, 7,500, and he only projects for 36 fantasy points, something like that, that's a pretty good fade situation when he's going to be very, very popular. Just because if he if he has an off night, if he only shoots 32% from the field, he's going to burn a lot of people because he's not robust enough. He He's not going to get there through different ways. Jimmy Butler is somebody who you can eat that, that chalk a little bit more easily because he gets blocks, he gets steals, he gets rebounds, he gets assists, he gets points, like – the dude just does everything. So I think that that volatility, if somebody is robust, I'm much more likely to be going with the field on that. And you're right. If they're more volatile, if it's one of those guys that you never get right, then just flip, just choose tails when when the coin flips. Like when everybody is on heads, choose tails. When everybody's on tails, just choose heads. And and like, if that's the way that it's going to go, then you, you can just fade him when they're high owned, and and take him when he's low owned. And the the other part of that, which I think is very very important, is to not be results oriented when you choose the other side of it. And that's the bigger problem I think that people have with these super volatile players, is that they look at it and they say, oh, I'm never going to take this guy again because he did terrible when I rostered him at low ownership. And then he's super high owned, and like you fade him, or no, and then, then, then he high goes high. off. Then then yeah. then he puts yeah. up all the point. yeah. So like. You you can't look at those two instances and be like, oh I, I I hate this game, blah blah blah. It's like he's super volatile, dude. Like you you said that he's super volatile, he was very high-owned, you faded him, he went off. You shouldn't care that he went off. Like you made a decision based on something that you think makes sense. This player is volatile. I don't want to have them because they can burn people very easily. So be concise in your decisions be sure of your decisions and make those decisions. And then don't worry about the results. Like you can't do anything after the game's lock. All you can do is just make the best decisions that you can make before lock. And whatever happens after that, like take into account in your models later, but you can't worry about it in the moment. Right. I I always judge my decisions
1: based on the ownership. I just take a look. Had I known this, would I have still done this? And if the answer is yes, then what the hell does it matter? Right. I, 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 those types of situations where the highly volatile guy, highly volatile minutes or whatever, ends up being, you know, 45% owned on a nine game slate, right? And I go like, I'm I'm, I'm not going to play many liners with him or any, like if I'm playing single entry or something, I'm like, nope, not playing him, build something else. If I look and he ends up being not 45% owned, but 60% owned, to me, I go and I go, great. I made the even better decision, right? I, I projected him for 45% ownership. Now he's sick. Now I get even more relative value by not having him. And then if he goes off, then what do I care? It's like, you would have told me before the slate, he was even more owned than I thought he was. That makes it even more likely that I wasn't going to play him. I, I was going to use him as the primary leverage point in my lineup. And if, the, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then you, then you lose. There's, we have 200 slates in a season, like just move on. Just that's, Then you lose. I mean, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of, what, what happens What happens if he goes off? Let's say you have 10 lines. You don't play him in one because what happens if he goes off? Well, then I lose and tomorrow's another slate. I mean, what's the best decision that I think to to make? I made the decision at lock. I saw the ownership and said, okay, confirmed, good decision. then whatever happens from there, the outcome doesn't matter at that point. Just that it matters for like if I'm going to win money or anything or lose money. Would I have changed my decision? No. So that, that, that type of mindset is that I, you, I don't find it hard. But I mean, I, I come from poker. When you do, when you play poker, you're playing even live. You're playing like 30 hands an hour. And you're playing eight to 12 hours a day. And I played for five years. What, I mean, you have to do that after every hand, right? Who cares what, like, oh, one outer. Who, who cares? So then I they, lost. I make the right decision? Oh, I shoved and and God drew out. What am I supposed to do? I made the right decision. And then you get another hand. You just see the next hand happens. So you have to constantly be in that mindset of like, like just as long as I make good decisions over the long run, over and over and over again, it's plus EV and I'm, eventually I'm going to, the money's gonna be in my, in my chip stack. So just keep on making those good decisions. DFS, maybe it's a little bit harder because you get, you know, a, only once a day you have a slate. NFL is probably, probably uh, James, NFL is probably the worst. It sucks. Because it it's is. like 17 slates pretty much. Maybe the Thanksgiving one, some playoff ones, maybe you get 20 slates. And it's like, oh, I thought I made a good decision. And, and the, the chalk. You know the chalk volatile guy. You know burns everyone. Or you play. You play the. Oh, I'm going to build around these two running backs, and they both dud. Or someone gets injured, and it's like great. Now I have a whole week. I can't. I can't. I can't continue my sample size for another week. And you're just sitting there for for six days going, uh, right? <laughs> At yeah, least yeah. in basketball and baseball and stuff, you can play every day. At least it's like okay. Just get on, get on the horse, and we're going again tomorrow. Let's go.
2: I said, uh, I said probably like four, maybe five times through the NFL season. Like it is not insane for you to not win a single slate in the NFL season if you're making like good decisions in GPPs. It is, it's not insane for you to like not have any profit in GPPs an entire year. That's why cash is super important. I, I don't play cash in in a lot of sports. Like I don't play cash in NBA. Um, I only play GPPs in NBA. But in NFL, I play cash because I, I know that in an NFL season, I might not hit once in GPPs. And like that, that's just, it is what it is. Like very, very good players probably win like what? I, I think it was like once every 25 slates or something like that. And, and like they are playing usually every single slate offered through an NFL season. So they have a little bit more leeway. But me, I, I just play main slates. So I know that I might not hit. Um there, there was another thing that I, that I was going to bring up. I, I don't remember what it was, um, but it, it's through the, the train of thinking of like, if you made a good decision. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you made a decision before lock and then the ownership comes out and you look at it and you said, okay, that was a good decision. And then 15 minutes later, it's the end of the first quarter of the first game. And like somebody went off that uh, you didn't really consider, like you saw them and you're like, oh, that projection's pretty good and the value is pretty good and like, uh, you know, but you didn't really consider that, then you cannot really tilt that decision in the moment. You can take account of it and you can learn from it later, but you can't say to yourself, oh, I should have played uh, Aaron Baines or, or like Robert Williams or something like that. Like Robert Williams gets four blocks in like three minutes and and gets four rebounds two offensive rebounds and like two putback dunks and he he now has like 28 fantasy points and and people are like oh man if i would have just played robert williams in this lineup and i could have done blah 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 it's like you weren't gonna play robert williams right who cares you weren't gonna make that decision so if you weren't gonna make the decision if if you literally were not thinking about doing that in your lineups if you did not tinker around with like the way that you build your lineup and actually slot in Robert Williams in that lineup. You don't care, dude. (laughs) You can't care about that because that's not a decision that you ever would have made. As you continue to learn, maybe like later on you see, okay, well, there were no centers available for the Celtics. Maybe I was a little bit low on what his median projection should have been. Maybe I should have considered him stuff like that. That makes sense after the slate, like the next day when you're reviewing but in the moment, man, don't tilt somebody that you absolutely never would have played. That that doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing. I, I the
1: same way that when I won the the slant in NFL, the fifty k, yeah. nine dollars slant. Like I, I, unless I get tickets or something, I usually don't play the millie maker in NFL because it's yeah. it's a horribly negatively negatively context. Uh I would have came in second in the millie maker with that lineup, yeah, for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> And people were saying, "Oh, doesn't it suck that you didn't put, you didn't put all your lineups in the Millie maker or whatever?" I was like, "What? What? What is there to tilt over?" I I wasn't playing the millimaker maker, like, right, like, and it, but it, but a lot of, but because since I play all unique lineups, so sometimes I will play, like, I'll play ten lineups in the Millie maker and fifty lineups into the slant, and like, but they're all unique, and then it's like, well, if that lineup could have been in the millimaker, maker, right, at least see, at least then. They could be something to tilt about, yeah. right? Like it'd be like, oh, this if this lineup was in the Millie Maker, I would have won one hundred fifty thousand instead of fifty thousand. But like, I literally did not play the Millie Maker that slate. So to me, there's no tilt. There's no like, well, I should have entered it, and then I like, no, I already made the decision that it's a horrible contest. Yeah, and I'm not going to play it. And I play the slant primarily. So people, oh, you lost a hundred thousand dollars by not. not how are you it's thinking this way? I was never going to make that decision. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to me. I was looking to win $50,000 and I won $50,000. So there's nothing There's nothing to tilt. Right. Is the decision to play the Millie Maker, not playing the Millie Maker typically a good decision? Yes. It's a horrible contest. It's a lottery where all the equity is in the top spot and then everything else is negative EV. You, you're playing that with a small percentage of your bankroll at most. And You're doing it for
2: like YOLO, whatever type of right. You if treat you it like it, a I, I'm not all. against it, yeah. You, you just treat it like a winner take all with 500,000 people in it, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and oh, so, if thing. I
1: chose not to play it because it's horrible like that, then what, what there's nothing for me to tilt, It's right. the same type of thing before it's like some random guy on today's slate, some you know, like if uh. Let's DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, not saying that he's a bad player or anything today. At 9,600 on DraftKings, Sabonis puts up 67 points. And, like, I don't have him in a lineup. Like, what am I tilting? It's like, did I... If I decided not, if like, I was never going to play Sabonis in, in, in any of these lineups that I made, then, then you move on to the next slate. Who cares? Yeah. But now, you do. To, to me, the only way that you tilt is if that happens. And you saw Sabonis is like... owned, and he wasn't even like on your radar. Because then then you obviously miss something. Sure. Right? If he's gonna if if it's if a guy ends up being owned and does well and you didn't even get like they weren't even in part of any of your calculations for anything, to me, that's the time that's worth like what did I miss? But if Sabonis is 3% owned and goes off like that, then well, should he have been 3% owned? Yes. Were you going to play him at 3% owned? No. Okay, so who cares if he puts up sixty? Who cares at that point? Yeah. Right? Like, wh- wh- if you would have known that he was going to be 3% owned at your projection, would you have played him? No. So, what- so who cares what happened in the game?
2: Right.
1: Right? It only matters is if, if you would have known, would have changed your decision. If you would have known, because maybe you, pl- maybe Sabonis ends up being you project him to be 12% owned and you're like at 12% owned. He's not worth playing. Right. At his, at his smash percentage. But let's say he ends up coming in at 1.8% owned. And you're like, had I known he was going to be 1.8% owned, I may have considered him a little bit more because I think that's a little, I think that's too low owned for, not well projected, but still. At 1.8% owned, Simona's could still smash. Like, that doesn't mean that, you. oh, I'm tilting and throwing stuff going, I can't believe I didn't place a bonus when he put up 70. It's just that, oh, well, obviously he wasn't 12% owned. He was 2% owned. So th- that variable changes and now it's like, my decision may have been different now. But if everything is in line with what you expected <laughs> and you just didn't happen to play, then
2: what's it yeah. tilt over? And, and that's one of the things that I try to take care of in my models. Is like Let's see. Let's take try to take an example from yesterday. Um, Norman Powell yesterday. I'm mentioning a lot today. i played a lot of Norman Powell over the last couple of weeks. Um, Norman Powell yesterday had him projected for like 31% ownership. Um, and I had him as a T-val of about 16%. Like I didn't like Norman Powell yesterday. So I had him as a negative 15% LevEx play, meaning that he was 15% overvalued in fields. Um at that ownership, like, yeah, I'm probably gonna fade that just because I think he's overvalued. He, he's about it seems
1: like times. you have some personal vendetta against Noral Powell. No. Like you mentioned him. You mentioned him as the poster boy of the guy <laughs> well, that you don't he, like playing that well, at
2: all. And I've played him a lot over the last week.
1: All right, I, I played him I like played every him in cash yesterday and on DK, and I did well. I
2: I, I consider that luck because I didn't want to play (laughs) Mormon Powell in cash at seventy three hundred, but I did, and and I would have played him in cash yesterday too. But I like yesterday, and I'm just using him as an example here. I I think that he was about two times as as valued as he should have been in large field tournaments. Right. So at that point, like I'm looking at that, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not touching it. But if he if he projects for thirty one percent ownership, and then he comes in at five percent ownership. I, I probably would have wanted some Norman Powell because then he's three times under owned. Like he, he is under owned relative to what I think that he can actually do. Um, Damian Lillard yesterday, I had him as about a 28% chance to make GPP value at, at that price. And oh, he, he was over owned yesterday. Yeah. He was over owned yesterday. And, and I had him project for 32% on our ship. It like, eh, it's like, oh, okay, if I have some, uh, another like low owned ringer, then I'll put him in. But like, I, I'm not going to just default to Damian Lillard. But if he projects for 32% ownership, comes in at five, I wanted some Damian Lillard. Right. So, well, so
1: your ownership projections is completely off then. Because, I mean, other things must be off in your ownership as
2: well. Well, well, no. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, as an example of, like, these right. things. Like, it, if speaking to the point that if we knew this ahead of time, if I knew that Damian Lillard would be 5% owned instead of 35% owned, I'd want some. But if things go what we think they will, if things go as projected, and he's thirty five percent owned, then like, he's an okay play. Vucevic is better. Jimmy Butler is better. But like, those are the kinds of things where those known unknowns that I always talk about, where like you you know there might be some volatility here. You just got to kind of take those things into account and tilt appropriately. Right. Like like the other day, I remember uh, uh,
1: the the Wizards when Beal was out. Oh yeah. Beal was ruled out like an hour before lock and I'm like like Westbrook is going to be super chalk.
2: Yeah.
1: And he actually wasn't. Like I mean he was chalk, I mean he was like 32% owned, but like I literally I looked and I said if I, I was treating Westbrook as the guy that I'm leveraging off of and it's like yeah. at 32 at like once I saw the ownership I'm like had I know had I known he was I thought he was going to be 45 50% owned. Oh, I thought when he was saw him
2: at 32% owned. I'm like Shit, if I, if I knew that, I would have them in every lineup at that ownership. Yeah, yeah. And th- those are the hard things. And those are the kinds of things that you can like, it, it's really hard. And you and I have talked quite a bit about like how hard it is to rely on ownership with like later news across the industry because like a lot of stuff just doesn't get updated. So you have to- use that intuitive knowledge of saying oh yeah Westbrook's going to be 60% owned and, and like I said it in in, in the discord as well I was like I don't think that like like I think that you can leverage Westbrook here because there's a lot of mid-range value that makes a lot of sense and there's not a lot of cheap guys that make a lot of sense so like I'd rather just build through like the higher mid-range and fade Russell Westbrook who's going to be like 55 plus percent owned comes in a 30% owned it's just like well okay i, 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 I right I we, we i think i think we
1: all because i saw it in some other chats as well that like the, the sharper players played a lot more you know f- factor that in but i guess an hour before lock on that specific slate not many i mean you know a, a lot of gpps people didn't react to the news even though it was an hour before that's, lock and right? that's weird
2: that's right weird.
1: that's right i mean 10 minutes before lock okay that's a different that's a little bit different story I mean, but we've seen that, like, anything that – if we know LeBron is out, like, the day before, like, that's already going to be – we already know that. Simmons and Embiid for the Sixers, we knew that. But that, like, Luca Porzingis out, that first slate back, I mean, that was, like, an hour, an hour and a half before the slate also. But people – we had Hardaway and Richardson and Brunson mega-owned. So, like, from my experience, I look at that and I go – well, Beal's out. West, Westbrook's going to be the payup up option, yeah. right? He's, like, he's going to be a pay-up, and, and he turned out, he still was, it was just flatter. I just thought that it would be like 50%. Pr- but those, but to me, we're talking about the situations where we're not talking about the outcomes. Yeah, Russell Westbrook put up 80 points that night on DraftKings. But even if he put up 35 points, I still look, I don't, I'm not looking at the results. I'm looking at. Had I known he was only going to be 32 to 35% owned, would I have played more of them? Would I should have, what would I have done? Yeah. Is it going to be, is it different than what I did? If the answer is yes, then that's how you should be judging it versus had I, had I known this and all the stuff is based on, I did everything based on if I would have known. So what, what, what decision am I, if I lost, I, what decisions would I have changed? I made the decisions based on the information, that I suspected my projections for the players and my ownership and for the the strength of the contest and the line of constructions that you made. And you go, I wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Had I known all this information other than the results. That's what I want to change. James, how do we change the results?
2: Uh, Have you seen the, the show WandaVision? No, I haven't seen it, but is it going back in time or something? I think so. I haven't seen it either. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, don't know.
2: I don't know. I don't watch TV. Um, yeah, I, I wish that we could change results. I, I think that the best thing that we can do, and it's why we talk about those three levers that that you mention all the time and why I focus so much on leverage is that ownership projections, I, I think, are the thing that matter the most now. Would you agree with that in GPPs? Do you think that ownership matters more than projections right now? Uh, I think, I
1: well, pretty I think a better way of putting it is project. I always say pro- player projections are the starting point. Yeah. I think that they're, they're you, that you, they're a must have, but the differences in, in, from it, it either, if you're signing up for RotoGrinders grinders premium, which is $10 off, click on the link in the description to get that. Uh, the differences of projections around the industry are not going to be that dramatic. And they're not going to be that dramatic. Even if you build your own proprietary model, Mm-hmm. So like especially in basketball so you may be one percent off here and two percent off there on some player projections but it's not, not gonna be that dramatic i still you need that i still you need that but the edge you get from having projections is not it to me there's not really much edge especially over the course of a season maybe a 10-year sample size <laughs> maybe.
2: yeah
1: uh that it's you're gonna be it's 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 di- more difficult to project ownership. Like your 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 R for for your player projections is going to be much better than your ownership projections. Like mm-hmm. ownership ownership projections are hard to do, especially in NBA, especially with the late news and stuff. Like it's very hard. To, I think it's probably easier on on Fanduel than it is on DraftKings because of multiple positional eligibility. You can just play whoever you want. Yeah, you can play anybody at any position on draft. Right. That's hard. Uh, but that's why, to me, having the most accurate ownership projections is more useful in GPP than the player projections, because you have to assume that a lot of the field, you're, you're playing against people that are, we have similar projections. Like, we're not going to, oh, Ke- oh, Kevin Porter was not even on my rate. I mean, like, you, you're not going to get that. Mm-hmm. It just comes down to: Are you fading him in this specific lineup or not? Are you gaining leverage? How much leverage are you gaining? Mm-hmm. How much relative value is is worth it in your lineup? But if you're if you're if you're if you're taking if you're saying Kevin Porter, I think he's going to be thirty percent owned, and he ends up being seventy percent owned, like that's going to dramatically affect the calculations you make of leverage in your lineups, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're going to oh, I think Russell Westbrook's going to be sixty percent owned, and he ends up being thirty percent owned. Oh, I think. I think so-and-so is going to be 16% owned. He ends up being 2% owned. Like now all of your, now you look at your lineups and you go, oh, I played some lineups that don't have enough leverage or I play some lineups that have ridiculously too much for no apparent reason. Uh, but that's all based around the ownership projections and not the player projections. But, mm-hmm. so but even if you're not doing the ownership projections in some type of mathematical method, I, I, I look at ownership projections. We have them at Roto-Grinders. Jamino does them. The hamster wheel is always going. I still, when it comes to the late news, especially, I look at them. Sometimes he'll rerun them. And I, from my intuitive, we talk about the difference between intuitive models and analytical models. I've been playing DFS long enough. And also the specific contests that I'm in, whether it be higher stakes, single entry, lower stakes, large field. Those are the two that, you know, more recently, the small field stuff is the stuff I've been focusing on, but I've been playing the large fields long enough that like, I could look, I could look at an, at our own RG ownership projections, where some guys like Jamino pro- hasn't projected for 22% owned. And I immediately look at that and go, nope, he's going to be like 35. Like, I just like, I, I know it's like, I know mathematically that's probably what he should be owned. But I know, I just know human beings better. I just know, I just know how people are going to react. They're going to, they're going to pay up here. They're going to do this, and this guy's going to be fifty percent more owned instead of twenty two. Will be thirty five, and then I have to take that into account. Go if he's going to be thirty five, how does that affect other people? Because if he's going to be fit into point guard spot, that means other point guards. You're going to look, you know, at, at, at you're going to look and uh, and see that, you know, oh, we're projecting Trey Young at. at 12% owned. And I go, no, nope, he's going to be 28% owned. Because, you know, uh, we Capella's out and whatever. And, the, what, and then I look and I go, uh, well, what other point guards are on the slate? It's like, well, Chris Paul ain't, ain't going to be 10% owned. Like, he's going to be 2% owned. Like, it's just going to be because people are going to play Trae Young. People, it's going to naturally cause point guard ownership to move like that. But if you're not taking that into account when you're building lineups, you're using numbers based on a mathematical algorithm, which is going to be more, if we plotted this over the course of the season, it's going to be more right than you doing it in your head throughout the whole way. But there are specific situations that you have to look at and go, no, that no, the, this guy's going to be more owned like people or, or people are going to look at the low ownership and then go, no, they're going to play more of him because they think he's going to be low owned.
2: And then they end up being higher. owned. well, and, and that's, you have said it before, and this is something that I echo all the time. You're really only making decisions on a couple on players, honestly. Like, it, when when you are looking at ownership projections, I, I I recently built an NHL ownership model because, like, I didn't like the way that my solution was working out. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to build my own ownership projection model. And my goal, and I said it in the Discord, was like, I only want to be close on the guys that are going to be high owned. Because these guys who are projected like 10, 15% owned, like anything below that, doesn't matter. I'm not making decisions on on these guys who are going to be 10, 15% owned the vast majority of the time. I'm going to be making decisions on the guys that are going to be 30%, 40% owned, because that's where I'm going to make a decision of playing them and then knowing that I am going to need to be somewhat different elsewhere or fading them and knowing that I can play basically whatever I want because of the relative value that I've gained from fading a 35% on player. So when you use your intuitive model to say, oh, well, Trey Young, he's going to be 35% out. Like it, it says 12%, but he's going to be 35% out. You are now making a decision based on Trey Young because he's going to be 35% out. Like you, you just well, like. That's what I think he could end up being 26% out. But the the
1: the I'm making stuff.
2: the decision based on that. Yeah. But the arbitrary stuff of like 26, 30, 34, whatever, like that range, who cares? You're you're just making a decision knowing that he is going to be relatively high-owned in comparison to the other point guards or the other guards on that slate. And you're making that decision, and then you can move on. And maybe there's one more decision that you have to make. Maybe there's like a very cheap value play, like Chris Paul gets ruled out or something, and or no, not Chris Paul, let's just somebody else whatever some expensive campaign right chris Paul's out and everyone we're yeah. all playing cameron Payne at three K yeah, yeah, tonight yeah. and and so um, then like you, you've made your decision on trey young who you know is going to be relatively high owned and then you make your decision on campaign who you know is going to be relatively high owned and then like after you've made those decisions just build the best line if you can like what what else do you really need you can't really do anything else like you have the projections you've made your decision on your two like important spots on the slate and then you just build the best lineup that you can or the best lineups that you can. And, and maybe if you have multiple lineups, you make a decision on trying to match the field or go over the field or whatever. But like, you're not making decisions based on the ownership of every player on the slate. You're making decisions based on a couple of players that are going to be polarizing based on the slate itself.
1: Right. The, the different, which 12%, if I have five, 12% on guys and I go, I can only play one, which one, <laughs> Whoever whichever one, yeah. roll a die. I mean, <laughs> at that point, typically they're all projected about the same. They all have about the same smash percentage. Like, unless you can predict the future, unless you know the future, you don't know between between them. And if a and if you're building five lineups, play one in each, right? Yeah. You could you could do that. I mean, but those to me, those are the decisions that you shouldn't be spending much time on. It's not a decision that doesn't matter. It probably does, but it matters this much versus. Do I play high high owned guys slow owned value play you know the, the the real pivotal players that are on the slate those are the ones that you should spend those are the most pivotal decisions so you should be spending the most amount of time. am I if I'm building 20 lineups, how many am I building without high owned stud? How many am I building without high owned cheap value play? How many am I building with both and then trying to get completely different elsewhere? right cuz now you're playing two chalk pieces together like to me that's that's what you should be spending more of your time on than picking out the 6% own guy that's going to go off because put put all 10 guys names in a hat and throw it in the air and like those decisions that that's play whoever you want hey if you want to if you want to choose out of those 10 guys the guy that recently got a haircut and you are like okay whoever recently got a haircut that's
2: who I'm choosing, it's going to be just at it's yeah, going to be just but you have to fade the haircuts because every barber has COVID. Oh, every, every okay. single barber has COVID. <laughs> 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 How but many instances have we had of somebody getting a haircut and then instantly going into contact tracing? Right. Don't get haircuts. Fade the haircuts, man. If somebody just got a haircut, they're going to get scratched. You cannot play them. Yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Like, when yeah. your decision-based method doesn't matter. It's it, Randomly, it, it, it doesn't
1: beat a random choice, so... If you want to, if you want to go by narrative, go by. At that point, it's 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 play wherever you want. I mean, that's that's exactly what I mean by play wherever you want. And when the differences between eight players are marginal, feel free to just play. With, make up a reason, pick it randomly, or just say you like. I I have a feeling. Well, that's going to be just as accurate as not having a feeling. Who
2: knows? Yeah, I mean, yesterday, like, make a decision between Robert Covington and Marcus Smart that the same price on draftkings both projected for 31 actually robert Covington, uh 32.64 marcus smart 31.85 oh and thaddeus young is right there at 31.59 oh and ricky rubia like whatever dude just just like they all project the same they're all going to be like 10 or less owned just whichever one makes the best lineup just choose the one that makes the best lineup
1: right and you could make better lineups Learn about lineups, not players in the theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. It's by me and James McCool right here. 15 hour audio masterclass teaches you all about the game theory of DFS chapters on game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, The chapter with a whole bunch of miscellaneous stuff. It's me and James in your pocket on your iPhone. And you could you could download it. You could listen to it anytime you want. Uh, it, it it applies to every sport. It's not just NBA. So this is you could as long as you know the, the game theory concepts of DFS, you could play any sport well. So pick it up. Fifteen hour audio master class at theoryofdfs.com. And James, people could follow you
2: at paydirt underscore dfs. That's right. Yep, paydirt underscore DFS. Um, I have a giveaway that I'm doing for subscribers right now to the site. Um, it is $30 to subscribe to the site, and I'm giving away a signed Giannis Antetokounmpo jersey. Um, that ends today. So even if you think I suck, you can buy a $30 lotto, lotto ticket today, a little raffle uh, to get a Giannis jersey. So, um, do You're that not giving experience. away top shots? I thought you'd be giving away top shots. That I I have a Top Shot account, but the thing is, like, I can never actually log into the site because their site sucks. Um, anyway, I'm giving away a Giannis jersey. It's signed. So come get a sub to the site, check out the models, everything like that. And uh, for sure, go by Theory DFS because baseball is right around the corner. And I, I think that there is probably no individual sport where you can employ Theory more than MLB. Right but you could I, I I think baseball you could possibly know nothing about the
1: sport and win GPPs. We talked about it last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't wait.
2: Vomit stacks. I'm I'm getting sick I'm getting sick of the NBA. This oh dude, yeah. Boston. If you're not sick of the NBA at this point, like you're some masochistic person. I, right. I I don't know anybody who is like happy about building NBA lineups at this point. No, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm dreading it. And I dread yeah. it
1: every night. Every single I, night. I I I look on the I look on the times and the more times that are bunched together, the more that I want to play. But when I see it's like 7, seven thirty, 8, 9, I'm like, no, no, I can't. I wanna, I, I'd rather it be just give me five games at 7 and then three games at 10. And I feel like, okay, at least I have a two-hour period where I don't have to worry. I could like, okay, I could push off my decision-making until like 9.45. And then decide what to do, but none of this. Like every and then this guy's in and that and who knows? Question every every damn day. Terrible, but that's that's Terrible. the grind. That's what we do here. No, that's what I do here every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, eleven o'clock. Here, hit the thumbs up button on the way out. You kept the apple juice cold this morning. So we'll talk about uh, whatever happens on today's slate. We barely talk about today's slate, but that, uh, Mondays is kind of a, you know, whatever happens, happens, right? We talk to James, talk about some game theory, some strategy, because uh, it's more of, a, more of a teaching show in the morning with me, Jordan Cooper. Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. So I'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. Dot com.